We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Roots Podcast. This episode 51. We've turned the corner, Matthew, and now just nothing but darkness behind us, nothing but darkness in front of us. Put your head down and do some podcasting. This week we have plenty to talk about. We're coming off the first major of the year, slipping into a green jacket. Patrick Reed, congratulations on the Masters win. We will touch upon that. Plus, we look forward to some playoff runs both in the NHL and in the NBA. It's that time of year. Things are gearing up. Sports are in full effect. I know no football. But uh, we even had kind some Johnny, Johnny Manziel. We had some, we, had some, we had some Johnny Manziel spring league, which looked like I could have been playing wide receiver. That's all we're talking about for, for now. Shot. We're not going to. No, I'm good. You want to come hurt. back? My right knee made a noise this morning when I got out of bed that there's there's no comeback happening. There's no comeback happening. That doesn't it normally felt, happen? Well, it felt great, which was weird, but it sounded like I blew my knee out. So I, I, I don't know exactly what, what you're talking about, yeah, and that's the really that, sad part. It's like, you know, when you crack a thumb and like that release, but oh. it was the knee and it was, it was troublesome. But, been there, um, been there. But, but I completely digress. Let's talk about green jackets and trophies, Matt, because it was an outstanding Masters week. Uh, we didn't get the Tiger push that we were looking for. Um, did salvage some respect in that final round. Great to see him make the cut. He was it was touch and go there for him for a minute, but um, you know Tiger aside, a great tournament with some big names, and you get a guy to win his first major championship. What was uh, what? What will be the lasting memory of the 2018 Masters for you, Matt? I mean, well, me personally, um, mm-hmm. I, we talked about this a little bit last night, but I, I took took a long shot Jordan Reed at, at plus 3,300 to start the day. Wait, hold on, hold on. Jordan, you said Jordan Reed. Jordan, Jordan Speed. Jordan Speed. I'm okay. sorry, I'm looking at Patrick Jordan Reed. Reed you might have, that's like betting the, when, you, when you're when you playing uh, roulette and you bet between yeah. the numbers. You I, got a Jordan I'm, I'm, Reed look, I'm, I'm thinking Jordan Spieth, but I'm looking at Patrick Reed's name at the top of the leaderboard. There, there you go. Jordan Spieth at the, <laughs> at the start of his round yesterday at plus 3,300. I think he was, which, seven shots back, or no, nine shots back to start today, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he he got to he got to all square a thirteen there at the top and I thought I, I was really thought I was really going to win some money I thankfully hedged a little bit on Patrick Reed but I think I told you over the phone Joe that the money I won on Patrick Reed was the saddest eighty four dollars I've ever <laughs> won in my life so just like dirty money just it, dirty it, money it, I, 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 don't get me wrong I happily took it but I see, didn't want to take it but see when I, it comes to major when it comes to major golf I always pick a pony as well throw a couple shekels down. But I don't. I don't hedge. I don't bet mid round. I don't bet uh, mid tournament. On Wednesday, I, I ponied up on John Rahm, and all week he looked like it was just like a, a wasted couple bucks. And um, he he makes he makes a push uh, late Saturday, a couple birdies, and then Sunday he was right in the mix. So things got a little exciting there. But he's a guy who runs a little too hot under the collar, I think, to uh, to, to ever make it work at Augusta, at least. Maybe a U.S. Open, maybe a PGA Championship. But I think the patience that's required at a British or at the Masters doesn't exactly um, align with John Rahm's game. I just like them because he's long, a foreigner's He's, won a, he's the last a fun two player years. to watch, too. He is. He, he, he goes after fun. the ball off the tee, and it's fun to watch. He's, it's always fun he's to watch very, those guys. Yeah, but from a golf standpoint, I definitely think this is a year where the guy who played the best golf won. And Patrick Reed, there were some moments shaky off the tee at one on Sunday, but bounces back. 
has an eagle on the card, makes a couple tough birdie putts. Uh, the putt at 12 really catapulted him from the fringe. Um, hadn't had a birdie in, I think it was five, six holes or something like that, and created a little bit of distance. The push from Jordan, though, was absolutely fantastic. And I think that was largely a product of him playing with zero. He said, he came into it and said, this is the first pressure-free round I've ever played at Augusta. Because this is a guy who, in his 17 rounds, uh, I think after day one, in his 17 rounds at Augusta, he had led nine of those rounds. So he's always playing with people nipping at his heels. Here, he was the guy nipping. And it allowed him to go out there, play free, and it was awesome. When he made that putt at 16, it was it was real. It became real for a second there. Well, we we were talking on the phone last night, uh, kind of a little bit of a pre-show meeting, and and that's we were, we were talking about this exact topic, you know, the Masters, and kind of we, we said that there wasn't really much of that, you know, one big moment like you know the, mm-hmm. the winner doing what he needed to do to separate himself, but or yeah, moment, the winner. I, I think I said to you when Spieth hit that putt on sixteen. That's what I thought it was going to. That be. was going to be was, yeah. That was the time when it, I believe I don't know if Reed had made that putt on twelve yet. Maybe he just did too, but that was kind of Spieth's answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Spieth made that long, it wasn't a you know a huge putt on sixteen, but it was what good. 20, 25 feet, so it was not one you thought he was going to make, and he, he absolutely uh, not guys, it. Not many guys make that putt up the hill. It, it takes a lot to get that ball back there. It yeah. curls left. It's just not a not a super makeable putt. But then again, I, we talked about it, I think, in the, the episode yesterday, uh, last week. Um, excuse me, my, my headphone fell out of my ear here. Um, but that 16, it, it, experiences like that with Spieth, it seems like, like that's kind of always where something big tends to happen where, where there's mm-hmm. a swing one way or another and that was an, I, for me another example of it and then speed he had his chance on 17 he had that birdie putt it was a little bit of a longer one but it just uh just stayed outside i believe it was yeah. that was kind of when you knew because reed still had uh what was it 15 coming up and then he went ahead and made birdie on 14 before that and you mm-hmm. kind of know at that point it was over you touched on it. patrick reed's been playing great golf all year he's been up near the top of the leaderboard seemed every weekend um, and it, he went out and wanted, he could have folded early, like uh, another certain golfer that happened to be in his pairing, <laughs> um, which I didn't hate seeing, but he didn't, he kind of stuck with it. He, he grinded it out for the front nine and then second nine, he, uh, he took it over and, and got to 15 like he needed to. What I found interesting too, is I don't know how much of the post you watched or listened to, but one thing that you don't get a... Uh, you don't get a good grasp on just watching the Masters on TV. Apparently, when you're there, the sound is completely different. You can hear roars from the golf course all over the – like, you can have a roar come up at 2 and you'll hear it at 15. Like, okay. the, the sound apparently just travels through the place. And he said that in his group, it, it was completely different too. People were adamantly cheering louder for Rory all day apparently. And Reed used that as fuel. He said that that's the type of stuff that fuels me. I don't need the crowd to be behind me. In fact, I like being the bad guy. I like being the underdog. And off the first tee, he goes, I get a nice warm welcome from the crowd. And then they say, Rory, Matt, I hit my tee ball down the middle, or I hit my tee ball to the right side or wherever he missed it. Um, And then, Rory comes to the tee, and it was an absolute explosion, he said. And I knew at that point that I was going to be the underdog in terms of crowd support, and I think that that served him best. Um, we, we, we talk about Rory and, and his inability to even you know, get anything going yesterday. It seemed like from hole one, he, he snapped that one right. He, he scrambles for a beautiful par, but he never put himself in position to make the birdie, to make the eagle, to catapult the round. 
And I know it's way too early because Rory's what, 28 years old? He's still like your, that. Yes, I'm along those lines. He's still 28 years old. But I want to ask you, Matt, is the Masters his U.S. Open to fill? Will he ever get the green jacket or is it something that there's a mental barrier, physical barrier between him and this final major for his Grand Slam, excuse yeah, me. It's, your good. <clears throat> it's still so early to tell because, like you said, he is 28 and you just – anything can happen with how talented he is. I mean, there could be years where he's kind of running away with it and people maybe you know, uh, fall down the stretch on Sundays, but whatever. But it's, this is the second time that he's been in prime position on Sunday to win it. Granted, he didn't go out and shoot 80 like he did a couple years ago, which was hysterical. Mm-hmm. Um he kind of folded under the pressure again at Augusta, and he, he hasn't done that in his career anywhere else, which leads me to believe that this might kind of be a little bit of a mental block for him at Augusta. He, he doesn't really have this tendency in other tournaments. He's usually thrived under pressure. I mean, you saw him. I, I know he lost to Patrick Reed in that Ryder Cup match, but that wasn't really at the fault of anything he did. He's ran away with U.S. Opens. He's ran away with British and all that, and the PGA, I think he won by 12 strokes there, 10 strokes that one year. He, he that's, that is that is how he wins. You make a great point. Yeah. It is so so maybe it is, maybe not even just Augusta. Maybe he doesn't quite have that mental edge in close, you know, big time spots yet. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it, it kind of seems like he, that, that might be his, his white way a little bit, kind of like Phil Chase in the U.S. Open. He might not get that green jacket if this is how he's going to play every Sunday when he's got a chance to win. Yeah. And, and Matt, the way we've approached this and been talking about the Masters is exactly how I feel the the tournament shook down. We're talking about all these other storylines, and look who's second on the leaderboard again. Ricky Fowler I'm lays in the glad weeds. You brought that. Make, lays in the weeds, makes his move late, and really put the pressure on Reed in order for him to have to make par at the last. And, you know, 17-18, we talk about 16 bringing such big moments, and I think it's because 17 and 18 are such tough holes. You don't Mm -hmm. see many birdies on that. Fowler knows he needs a birdie at 18, goes out there, puts one close, makes the putt. I thought, you know, this, this might, we might have a playoff moment here, and Ricky, still without a major championship, but putting himself right in the position to do it again. And it just breaks my heart for the kid because it seemed like this week he really did everything he needed to to get it done. Patrick Reed was just better. No, I'm, I'm glad you did bring that up and kind of set it the way you did because in the past when he's had chances to win here or really win majors anywhere, mm-hmm. he hasn't like hugely flamed out, like epically bad, but he's kind of never done what he needed to do to really get himself to a spot, you know, to, to win or to be, you know, a good contention to win. Today, he, I'm sorry, yesterday he really did that. I mean, he was five under for the round. He made big birdies, big putts when he needed to. Yeah. And he would, I mean, he was right there. I mean, he was 10 under going into the, in, into the second nine. He finished at 14. I mean, he, he charged as hard as he could. And like you said, Patrick Reed, needed to make a putt on 18 and, and he did and that's that was kind of that but but performance like yesterday from Ricky at least silenced a little bit of doubt on kind of when that's going to happen for him and, and if it's going to happen I, I think you saw yesterday that it's not really a a, a mental lapse on his part no. or, or whatever it is he, he's right there he's always up there and it's not like he collapsed down the stretch yesterday he made all the shots he needed to down the stretch like you said Patrick Reed was just a little bit better and quite honestly yesterday Ricky Fowler was better than Patrick Reed. Patrick Reed started the day 14, finished at 15. Fowler charged mm-hmm. hard. Reed just kind of made made the shots when he really needed to on, you know, 16, 17, 18. Matt, where to, does uh, Patrick Reed go from here? Where does he – where does his career trajectory end up? Is this the high point? Do you think that there's 
a handful of more majors? Do you think we're going to see 10 majors out of him because he's a 27-year-old as well? He's a young guy. I believe the leaderboard going into yesterday's final round, nine of the 10 guys in the top 10 were 30 and under. The only guy over 30 years old is Henrik Stenson. Hey, Patrick Reed, to me, he's, he's a fantastic golfer. Um, I'm not sure he's quite up there with the the elite, you would say, of this kind of group that we've talked about, but he's kind of right mm-hmm. one step below it for me. Um, I don't think anyone, maybe other than Jordan Spieth, is going to win You know, 10 majors out of this group. Um, and from, it, It's hard for me to say anything other than a Masters is going to be the high point of my career if I'm a golfer. Uh, yeah. so I, this might be the high point of Patrick Reed's career. I don't think it's his last major, but uh, I, I don't think he's going to get himself into that you know jordan spieth type air in this group of golfers for me yeah i I would tend to agree but uh you know like you said even this season he's been playing such great great golf that um he's he's gonna be in contention in big tournaments in small tournaments in a bunch of tournaments if he can keep playing golf this way I mean, I, I think Patrick Reed, even in his own mind, it's it's going to be this Masters, and it's going to be the Ryder Cup from here on out. And I, yeah. I, he he's a guy who thrives on that. He was still using some guys are built for that. Yeah, he was still using the Hazeltine umbrella. I yeah. think it was on Saturday, <laughs> which is just a fantastic move. And then uh, that's kind of what he seems to thrive on. I think he wants to win majors and all that. But I think in his own mind, personally, I think one of those Ryder Cups for America, you know, wearing that uniform, it might be his high point in his own mind. Yeah, I, I'm really he, excited to see him on on foreign territory. Excuse me, if that if he's a guy who thrives on being the villain and kind of getting booed, and that's what we saw him do at Hazeltine when he had the crowd behind him, I'm really mm-hmm. excited to see what happens when you know he's playing well and the crowd's booing him and he's using that as motivation. And it's in France too, so he might scare the French. You know, it doesn't take a lot. Well, they might be good. a little bit quiet. They might not even boo him. <laughs> Just give him dirty looks and talk passively aggressively on exactly. their breath. You'll hear, you'll hear whispers. <laughs> Uh, too good. Matt, uh, another storyline, uh, Tony Finau, I believe it was a top 10 finish after dislocating his ankle Two, it was, it was, it was funny because he made it through the week. It wouldn't have been funny if the injury would have pulled him out, but celebrating a hole in one in the par three contest, a pretty gruesome looking injury pops that back bad. in. I thought he that was looked- going to be like off his feet for two weeks, not playing that, golf the next yeah, day. Yeah, that looked really bad. I, I would like to see almost like post-mortem how they showed us Brady's thumb. I'd like to see the swelling on that ankle, a picture of it. Because I don't think I that, would. Yeah, that was not good. That was not good. But uh, Tony Fino, I don't know if you have a leaderboard pulled up. But I, I do. Say he finished a, at 700. I think he finished 10th. So a top 10 finish at the Masters after dislocating his ankle. Got to be happy about that. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think you saw that coming after after what was it wednesday uh, at the par mm-hmm. three that yeah when he when he did i, I was just sitting at work watching that uh, watching that happen and i i got to admit it, it it's not like it was somebody else doing something to him he kind of did it to himself with mm-hmm. the over the top celebration for a hole in one so i wasn't like i would have felt bad if he didn't play in the masters but at the same time i still would have found it kind of funny because it was kind of self inflicted and he brought it upon himself but that was <laughs> the most bizarre like he fell and then just kind of like clicked his ankle back on his own i don't know if that was was that his ankle was that his shoe i didn't really i didn't know i, I hope that wasn't actually his ankle that far out of place that he just clicked in by himself and nobody seemed it to looked care like about. It. it it really looked like it though but i i mean i've never dislocated <laughs> an ankle before joe but i feel like it's a little bit more difficult to pop back into place than that and then a little bit more difficult to walk 18 holes the next four days 
Yeah, not, I don't not know. easy. That's just me. I'm not, not trying easy. to. I'm not trying to take away from anything the man did. And no, I want to tell I, the story that you know he he played <laughs> four rounds on a on a dislocated ankle. Go ahead, but for me, it's a little bit hard to believe that. Speaking of guys who have won tournaments with injuries, let's double back here and talk a little bit of Tiger. Um, there wasn't there wasn't a moment. I, I think the the moment was on Friday in his round where he was greenside at 12 after putting one in the water, looking at a long bogey putt from the fringe, makes the bogey putt. He was eyeing four over. Instead, he goes to just, I believe it was two over at the round, kept himself in striking distance. That's when the lead was, I think, around five or six Mm -hmm. under. And um, he just never really... He never really got to the gas pedal. It felt like he was playing defense the whole week. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of with you. It was actually something we talked about. I don't think either of us really had him winning this week. I don't think either of us thought he was going to have as poor of a showing as he did, though. He, he was still it was unreal. It was things. unreal expectation. Yeah, it was he, unreal expectation following some good golf early in the season. I, I think no matter where he finished this week, and obviously it's a disappointment for him, it's a disappointment for Tiger fans, probably a disappointment for everybody else on tour, too, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um I still think it was good for him to, you know, get back into this, get back actually major golf experience because say what you want about being back at the Valspar and, and, and uh, the Honda and how many majors he's played in one. If you haven't really played in it for, what was it, two years or so now, it's, it is it is a different feel. It's a, it's a different course. It's it's as, as many times as he's played Augusta in the past, it's, it's still different when you haven't been there for two years. And, and yeah. it's nice for him to just get major experience. And I, I, I said it two, three weeks ago whenever we recorded this, but I still think his, his most realistic goal for me would be that British Open. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I forget yeah. uh, off the top of my head where they're playing it, but I think that's that's kind of a great target for him to think he's really back in, in contention and have a serious chance to win it. I think he'll have a better showing in the U.S. Open, but I, I think the British is really the target for him in, in my mind. Team British Open is being played at the Heritage Carnoustie. Oh, um, so love Carnoustie this year, and uh, the U.S. Open is being played at Shinnecock, if yes. I'm not mistaken. Yes. So Shinnecock <laughs> and then Carnoustie. Grow up. Just grow up. <laughs> We're going to be talking about the U.S. Open, so you need to get, a, you need to get over it. All right? Speaking you, you of U.S. Opens, I'll, I'll transition to, to one more topic before here we get off golf. and We don't have to be uh-huh. on it very long, but how about Phil's just epic collapse on Friday? Yeah. That back think- nine was just, it was unbelievable. It was like he had some fill moments, but then he just kept going downhill. I don't really know what it was. A quad on there or a quintuple? I mean, you're talking about explosive moments. We could talk Sergio, too, because that was quintessential Sergio title defense I've ever seen in my life. Just <laughs> it, was the greatest, it was the greatest thing I've ever seen. It was it, it, it topped the sawgrass moment where he put four in the water. It, it was... It was fantastic. And then after the round, he has the gall to say, I, I hit a good hit shot a bad, five times in a row. He goes, I didn't hit one bad shot. And, and, I hit a good shot five times in a row. It just landed in the I wrong mean, spot. Yeah, that's like, that's like when you're at the range and you're not aiming at anything. But, yeah, it's, the ball strike was good, but the ball ended up in the water. That's not a good shot, Serge. Oh, that, no, was, that was, was awesome. perfect. But to go back to your original question with, with Phil's semi-implosion there, I think it's a lot right now. I think that to – to have Phil contending in tournaments, I think he's at a point in his career where he can definitely contend in tournaments. We saw him win earlier yeah, this season. He just won a WGC. So. But at the same time, 
we talked about it being different and it takes so much more to win the masters to win a major and i think namely the masters the mystique around it, it it's not too big but he's at a point in his career where you have to summon everything you have inside of yourself physically and mentally to win this tournament and i don't know if that perfect alchemy of things is there for him or for Tiger at this point i think i think they're at a point where you know they could get by physically one week but the mental might be a little off or they can get by mentally and the shot shaping might be a little off and just to have that perfect confluence of events is tough when you're in your 40s i think that's the biggest issue because tiger can still go out there and hit the ball 330 phil can still go out there and throw a flop shot up in the air like you've never seen before but to do it for four straight days at one of the toughest courses in golf where you're going to have to weather some storms it, it takes a lot and they might be on, be beyond a point where that that's within reason yeah uh, I, I you very well might be right i hope you're not because i, I love when those two are in it on sundays yeah. and i i I think this is about as bad as we'll see phil perform i hope this is about as bad as we'll see phil perform in a, in a meaningful masters for him but uh, it, it's it's just better when those two, especially Tiger, but when those two are hanging around on Sundays, because you, especially Phil, he is he's the most unpredictable, I think, golfer, just about yeah. in the world. And even at age what at forty six, I think he said he was. He's still if he's in there around the hunt on Sundays, you, you never know what he can do. So I I hope he's still gonna be hanging around. But it's a good point. They're they're all getting to that age where they are a little bit older and, and contending every single major you know year in year out here is is getting to be a little bit tough on all well matt it was an outstanding weekend for golf fans for sports fans and the masters is always that um that line in the sand that point where you know summer's coming championships wait, 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 coming wait. so yeah summer's coming summer's coming that's no, interesting. Is it not, oh, my, my car is covered guys, in snow i'm gonna have to brush it off when i go out there a little later today. i don't <laughs> think summer's guys, anywhere near I got sixty five and sunny right now, so uh, we're we're doing. They got all right any out jobs here. out there in Sacramento? Supposed to, I think there's a few openings, but it's supposed to get you up got a second bedroom today. So you, uh, I do not. This is a one bedroom, spacious one bedroom. But they got uh, any room in that condo? Uh, I got, condo, I got a, condo plex. I got a I got a garage. I got a garage. I can do in. garages. It's if it's seventy <laughs> degrees, that's that's nice and warm for me. Dip dips down to the fifties, the forties at night, but that's uh, we'll okay. I can bundle here. up. Yeah, well, well, you're always you're always welcome out here, Matt. Can I just okay. can I just stay on the couch? Can I just stay on the couch? Hey, you know, I've um, slept on Matt, a couch so many times in my life, Joe. I'd probably be just fine with it. You'd be, you'd make it. You'd be I just know. fine. Um, all right, Matt. Well, we got plenty to talk about on this pod. Thank you for the non-golfers and golf fans for listening to our diatribe on the Masters. It means a lot to both Matt and I. And uh, looking forward to the U.S. Open coming in a few weeks. Here, what is it? Six weeks? Five weeks? Six weeks? Yeah, is, last, this is the last week. This is the June, longest. Right? Yeah, this is the this longest week between. Majors, so uh, we'll get take there. a little. We're, we're like we Tiger. We'll take a we're, we'll take a little break. We'll gear up towards it. And we'll, we'll be ready to go. I hope so. Sounds good. All right. Well, Matt, let's jump into some NBA playoffs. Uh, final day of the season this Wednesday, depending on when you're listening to it. That is Wednesday the twelfth, I believe, is the final day of the regular season. Sure. Uh, those standings are pretty much uh, locked in. A couple spots to be jockeyed for still, Matt. But I, I want to get a prediction out of you. We'll go brief here on NBA. What you've seen this season, I mean, let's Bulls aside, let's just keep this completely playoffs. Who are you liking out of both conferences? Because it, we said it before the podcast, it is pretty wide open, that meaning there's four teams in contention rather than two. Joe, I, I, I've said it a couple times before, and, and the more I watch them, the more I like them. I absolutely love the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah. They are so much fun to watch. They're playing really good basketball. I'm not sure... 
they should be ready yet, but they also don't know that. They're one of those kind of teams that they're really good, but probably a year away, but don't haven't gotten the memo that they're still a year away. They just played one of the better games, probably the game of the year against the mm-hmm. Cavs, where they, they had a huge lead, and then LeBron came storming back, but they were able to hold them off. I think Ben Simmons went off for 27, 15, and 13 without taking a jump shot because Ben Simmons doesn't take jump shots, which is weird. Um, but I, I'm going to take them out of the East. I, I'm going to do it. If there's a year where LeBron's going to get knocked off, I think it might be this one just because there's there's still not all that much help around him. That, that, that new team is gelling a little bit more than the old team prior to the trade deadline, but they're still not. They're still not the Cavs of, of what seems like every year. Boston doesn't have Kyrie. Toronto is really good, but they still don't. I, DeMar DeRozan's a very good player, but I, I still don't think of the teams contending they really have that star. I think he's probably the worst of all of them. Plus, mm-hmm. the way it lines up now, if they finish that three seed, they'll get Boston in the second round, whereas the winner of Cle- Cleveland and Toronto will get each other in the second round. That's going to be a long, hard-fought you know, six, probably six, maybe even seven-game series where one of those teams might be a little bit you know, tired, maybe banged up coming out of it. And Philadelphia, uh-huh. I think it's going to be fresh because Boston doesn't have their best player. Uh, and Matt, I agree with all of your points there with Philadelphia. It kind of setting up nice for Philadelphia. But at the same time, the biggest caveat in there is that at some point they have to beat LeBron and the Cavs. They do. And, and I don't see that happening. I think that, that that might be the best chance for, as you said, LeBron to falter, to fall. But We've seen it coming down the stretch. He still has the ability, the skill, and the willpower to do it by himself. And I think we're going to watch. It's going to be, it's going to be a matter of if he has enough in the tank to mm-hmm. do this for for two and a half, three more months. But I think we're going to see the most dominant playoff run by a single player that we've seen in a very, very long time out of LeBron James, simply because he has to do it. That is the way that Cleveland's going to get to the championship. Yeah, it's the only Smith, way they're getting. J.R. Smith is going to be lights out one night and <laughs> not be able to make a shot another night. And those nights where he's lights out, maybe LeBron will be able to take you know take the the 1A role. But it's going to be LeBron, LeBron, and more LeBron. And I think it's going to be really fun to watch. I still like Cleveland out of the East. I mean, it, it, I'll be honest with you, Joe. You know, if you're making, if I was told I have to bet, you know, my you know, my bank account on a team to come out of the East, obviously I would not put it on anybody else but LeBron James. But mm-hmm. it just I, I have this I have this weird feeling that Philadelphia seems like a team that's ready to challenge them and give them that give them that push that they haven't really gotten since kind of the Bulls when they were really good. Uh, but even mm-hmm. then the Bulls didn't give them that much of a push, but we'll see. Uh, but LeBron's gotta get tired at some point, right? The years no. No, maybe not. Maybe you're right, but I mean, this is the this is a year more than really any other that we've seen in the past, where he really has the like he is carrying this team. Kevin Love's come back from injury and been a nice little help for him, but for the most part, he's just been doing everything. And I I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me right now, but I saw a tweet the other day comparing James Harden and. LeBron this season and I know it's not just by the numbers but LeBron James is the MVP this season and I know everyone's saying oh it's it's far and away James Harden what he's done this year the way he scored LeBron's numbers are better and he's done it with zero help he's done it amongst turmoil I know he created a lot of that turmoil under his own accord but I hate the way the MVP trophy is awarded in the NBA we we simply write it in stone two months before the season's even mm-hmm. over and then everyone agrees about it LeBron James is the MVP. LeBron James has been the MVP for the better part of the last decade. 
when we look back on it, this is LeBron's decade. You'll just have a couple footnotes of other guys that won MVPs because we got tired of giving LeBron the trophy. No, I'm with you. And honestly, the this might be his most impressive and valuable year that I, I think he's had. In, See, in quite like, some how else time. do you define value? Uh, like, yeah. I, James Harden's had a fantastic year. His numbers are great, but every you know star player in a Mike D'Antoni system has great numbers. And you have to go out and execute. And James Harden does. He's done that. But he also has Chris Paul who uh, I think I inaccurately predicted has been a, they've been a seamless transition with each other. They, they've, they've kind of fit perfectly together. I wasn't sure how it was going to work, but they've made it work really well. He's got as deep of a, a bench and kind of some help as you can. They, they can go nine, 10 people deep and that they don't really miss much of a beat. LeBron just, he doesn't, Kevin Love has missed, you know, six weeks down the stretch. Uh, Larry Nance Jr., Jordan Clarkson, uh, th- those are kind of like LeBron's, next two in line after Love's out. He, he's really doing it all himself. It seems like every other night he's throwing up some ridiculous triple-double or something close to it. And for me, the, the biggest games, the ones where they're playing Philly, the ones where they're playing Toronto, the ones where they're playing Boston, the teams that actually matter, for lack of a better word, you always look at LeBron's stat line and you always see he's he dropped 38, you know, 16 and, and 9, something like that. And he, he always yeah. shows up in the biggest moments. He's the only reason the Cleveland Cavaliers are where they are and are going to be considered by most to be the favorite to come out of the East. I'm with you. He deserves that MVP. He's not going to get it because the NBA likes to spread it around a little bit and, and give it kind of the, the popular pick. And like you said, the one that's been crowned two months before the season ends. But if we're judging on who is actually the most valuable player to their team, James Harden missed a good amount of time for the Cavs. I think they sat him for about, or excuse me, the Rockets sat him for about a week, ten days, and the Rockets really didn't miss much with beat. Well, so. let's take it out. Let's take it out west, and let's talk Harden. Let's talk Rockets. Who do you like out of the West? I think it's it's really a two team, maybe three team race if you want to talk about Portland. But uh, you're looking at the Rockets and the Warriors. The Warriors have been dinged up; haven't really had their stride. They've lost six of their last ten, uh, which is not something that's happened in a very, very long time. Uh, I was looking at their – because there's a big fan base out here mm-hmm. in the Sacramento area. We're not far from Golden State. It's about an hour into Oakland. And um, I was looking at the numbers. The The last two championship runs, they've won something ridiculous like 13 of the last 15 games one year and 15 of the last 16. So they always come into the playoffs at a full sprint. This year they're coming in – somewhat flat-footed, and due to the injury to Curry, due to the injuries to Durant, due to the injury to Klay Thompson, due to the injury to Draymond, all four of their All-Stars were injured at some point or another in this last month and a half span. Everyone's going to be at full strength, at least by the second round. They're going to get Curry back. He's going to come out. I mean, when he came back from his initial injury, the, the game where he got hurt, he, he had 28 points through three quarters. So I don't expect any rust from injury for Curry from this injury. But can they gel immediately? It's it's a lot to expect from them. I still have them as the favorite out of the West. It's not so much my doubt in Houston as it is my belief in the depth and the talent of Golden State and the fact that I think they'll pick up right where they left off when they get everyone going. Because I saw a stat, they are 0-4 in Kevin Durant's four highest scoring games this season. So when Durant has to take the lion's share here and take over, something changes about them. So I think having Curry in the fold, having to spread the ball out a little bit more just makes them indefendable, undefendable, whatever that word is. Joe, I I am with you. Um, I'm I'm not going to pick against Golden State until they lose. Uh, Then I'll I'll finally believe they're not going to the NBA Finals and and winning the NBA Finals. Uh, 
they've been there before. I don't care how many players have been hurt. It seems like by the second round, they'll kind of all be back and gelling together. Though that If they do end up with Oklahoma City in the first round without Steph, that should be a fun series to watch. They'll still win. I think it, it might take them six games. But Russ and KD going back and forth in a playoff series should be a lot of fun. Uh, but Houston is a team like me. You, you look at their head coach, Mike D'Antoni, you look at their, their two best players, James Harden, Chris Paul, all of them pretty much have the same thing in common. And that's their teams when they've been great, when they've been the better team in the NBA have always flamed out in the playoffs. And mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm not so sure, sure that isn't, uh, or that that's, uh, that's a freak thing. That's just something that, that's a coincidence. I, I think there's a reason for that. Chris Paul's never made it out of the second round. James Harden disappears in the biggest moments, and Mike D'Antoni's teams don't really play much defense. And when it comes down to the NBA playoffs, I know it's still an offensive dominated lead, but in the playoffs, when you play these good teams, you have to buckle down and play some defense. And I'm not sure Houston can do that. Yeah, so it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be a entertaining stretch, as the NBA always is. But I think at the end of the day. We might be looking at a, at a Cleveland Golden State part seventeen or whatever. Which Cleveland or which Golden State will sweep? Most yeah, likely. I, I don't. I don't, I don't think, think that uh, there might be one LeBron game where he goes off, but even then, like they'd be capable of losing the LeBron game because there's just not much around him anymore. And I believe if Cleveland makes it, this will be LeBron's eighth or ninth straight Finals appearance, which I is think it's ninth. Otherworldly, so yeah. Um, it's going to be fun to watch, Matt. Let's uh, let's take it to our other our other sport coming down the stretch here. Uh, we're going to do a little a little Blackhawks post mortem here, rather Rankings. than breaking down the playoffs. We're going to we're I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to deem you Matty Bowman, and, and I'm going to be I'm going to be a media member here. We're going to do a little a uh, little Q and A um, with with the season finale press conference happening today. Did you say it was? Uh, yeah, so it's uh, I, I got it on the TV right now. Um, I believe it happened this morning. I think the a lot okay. of the audio they're running is late, so I haven't, I haven't seen a ton of it. Seen some some clips coming here on Twitter, but uh, gotcha. yeah, they they talked, they cleaned out lockers, all that stuff today. They, everybody was uh, was available. All right, well, Maddie Bowman, my first question for you is: uh, with the season having gone the way it did this year, what does this franchise do moving forward to get back on the right track? Do you feel like this was too large of a misstep for the Blackhawks for your team? in order to just pick up where you left off two years ago next season? Uh, you know, I, I don't. I think this – I still think that this group has a lot left in it. I think you saw a lot of younger players this year either take their first step, if we're talking about Alex Debrinkit, who um, I don't think – I think a lot of people expected him to, to have a big year, to have an impact on the team this year, but I don't think anybody expected him to be a 28-goal scorer leading the team. I think you saw younger guys also like Nick Schmaltz take step forwards. And I, I think this team was built to uh, have some young talent, win some games that way, but also be built on, on the back end with a, with, with a Vezina Trophy-worthy goaltender. Um, and, and when we, we, we didn't have the help we needed behind him, and when, when Corey went down, uh, we, we obviously weren't able to, to kind of weather that storm, and that is on management, that's on you know, us for not finding that replacement, but at the same time, I, I think that's the reality of the situation. I still think there's a lot of talent in that locker room, and there, there's still some young players with steps to grow. Uh, I think they, there are moves to be made, but I still think we're on the right track. Well, you talk about those moves, Matty Bowman. What is the main move that you want to make this offseason to make sure that this team is in the best position to hit the ground skating next year? <laughs> well, I, I think we need to go out and get some help. Uh, I, I think we need to... Uh, to address the blue line. Um, I, I do think, like we said, I, th- I think there are some pieces there. I still think Duncan Duncan Keith, while he may never be the best defenseman in the NHL again, I still think he can get back to being a number one defenseman. 
Uh, I don't think Brent Seabrook is a, a number one defenseman anymore, but at the same time, I still think he's got a lot more left than he showed us this year. Uh, I, I think we need to go out and add that second pairing anchor. Uh, in the years that the Hawks have always been their best, they've had that, and it's been Nicholas Chalmers and Johnny Oduya. Uh, I, I think we need to go out and find that. I think we need to go out and find a defenseman who can who can push the pace, who can who can carry the puck and get it to, up to our forwards, you know, and, and really move the pace from the back end. A real puck mover who is also capable in, in his own end. I know everybody's looking for that at this time of year, um, but but that's a guy I think we're going to need to go out and find whether that's someone in our system or someone from the outside, uh, I think that's the biggest need to address for us. I like our forward group. I think Johnny, uh, Johnny Tate is going to have a, a bounce back here. He started trending the right direction before getting hurt. I, I think our young guys really took steps in, in that group, but I think on the blue line we're going to need to address some help and, and really find a more long-term solution uh, to that blue line. Uh- Last one for you here, Matty Bowman, and I think it's something that we've seen across the league, not in drastic terms, but do you have any indication or any intention of lowering beer prices next season? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't um, because there are, <laughs> there are you know, suckers up in the 200 level, the 300 level, who's still going to pay it every time. I could probably charge Suckers it. in probably the 200 ch- level. <laughs> Writing that down. That's a yeah. quote right there. That's a quote. I'm am referring um, to to your your co-host on the your host of the Moose and Runes podcast. It's a famous one, right? That's that, a, that, uh, that's the outlet you're you're interviewing from, correct? Yeah, exactly. Your, your, your co-host still comes and and buys those nine dollar ten dollar beers just about every time he's there, and, and and a couple of them at that. So I don't think they're going to stop anytime soon. So it so if, that's, if he's going to keep a, buying, and we're going to keep charging you. That's a no on the uh, on the beer lowering. That's prices. a big. That, that was an exclusive interview with uh, Blackhawks front office brass, Matty Bowman. Uh, glad we could bring that to you here on the Moose of Nudes podcast. We're going to bring Matt Rooney back in. And uh, Matt, we want to talk about the NHL playoffs here. Sure. Um, Happy to. I want, you, I want you to pick your ponies. Who, who are we going to see make runs this year in the playoffs? You know, let, do, let, me, let me pull up the exact bracket here because I want to get mm-hmm. – I want to I take a look at who's got who, who's got what matchups. So I know that the going. Sharks have the Ducks. That's uh, is that, that, that's, that's going to be a fun. Oh, I got going to be a great over. series. The, the Sharks lost five of their last six and stumbled in, but uh, they cost themselves home home ice advantage with a loss to the Wild in the last game of the season. So uh, I think the Ducks are coming in with 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 uh, you, you're a little correct. bit more a little bit momentum then. The, the, the Ducks have been a team who have always kind of made runs and then spectacularly yeah. flamed out like Ryan Kessler's teams tend to, and it's always fun to watch every year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm looking at the bracket now, Joe. Out of the East, I, I've been on Tampa just about all year, and I'm not going to stray now. I think they have a, a perfect, really, combination of forward depth. they got one of the best blue liners in the game in Victor Hedman, and they're, they're deep along the blue line as well. Um, and, and their goalie, Andre Vasilevsky, has had a fantastic year. Um they look like the team to beat with me. We saw them in 2015 uh, when mm-hmm. they played the Hawks, and, and everybody they gave the Blackhawks really all they can handle in that six-game series. And I think everybody knew it was coming for them eventually, and I think this is finally that time. They have arguably the best coach in the NHL, one of them in, in John Cooper, and I think they're my pick to come out of the East. For talking West, it, it's hard not to go chalk there with Nashville, but I'm going to say I'm going to say Winnipeg. Joe, I, I love the way Winnipeg plays. They're, okay. they're very fast. Um, they have they have a nice home ice advantage. Uh, that that means something in the playoffs. They have a very they have a small arena. They can get really loud. Um, they they know Nashville very well. They've obviously played them a bunch of times. Being in the same division, that'll likely be the second round matchup. And I think whoever comes out of that series is going to do it. But 
as good as Nashville's been, as chalk of the pick as they are, I really like the way Winnipeg's played. I've seen the last couple, uh, twice in the last couple weeks, here playing the Blackhawks, and while the Blackhawks aren't that great of a measuring stick down the stretch here, I've loved what I've seen from them, and they have. Next to Alex Ovechkin, the, the best goal scorer in the NHL, and Patrick Laine, who I think is going to, in this playoffs, become a, a mainstream big-time name up there with Ovechkin. He's going to finally put himself on the map. I like it, Matt. And I, I'm, I'm putting my trust in you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push my wagon to both of those. You should take well, Vegas. I'm go, I, that'd be fun. A Vegas run Vegas. would be so fun. That I'm would Vegas. be Yeah, I'm going with Vegas. I'm taking Vegas. Hey, you know, uh, Vegas, Vegas. Vegas could absolutely win a series or two. Um, yeah. they, they're, they're a better team than we thought. They... they Play a, a decent style of uh, playoff hockey, but they also have the Kings in the first round, who are a team you know built of, of guys who have been there before. So that, that might be a tougher start matchup for them. But they they're a talented and very well coached team. All righty, Matt. Well, uh, it's going to be fun to watch all leagues coming down the stretch when there's championships on the line. We can't miss it, and you know we won't. So Ooh, can I can I add fun. one more thing here, Joe? If you're looking Always. for a fun series to watch here in the first round, I know. Mm-hmm. First round of the NHL playoffs full with a lot of a lot of unknowns. We got two in the East with absolutely huge rivalries, Boston and Toronto, which uh, they they haven't played in the playoffs in a long time. The last time Original they did six actually, hockey. The last time they did um, was when the Hawks beat the Bruins in 2013. Uh, the the they went to seven games. The Leafs had like a four one lead in the third, ended up blowing it in Boston, and, and that was one mm-hmm. of the more fun series to watch. And then Philly and Pittsburgh is probably the biggest rivalry in hockey. Nobody really likes to give that justice to or pay as much attention to as you see a lot between the original six rivalries, but that's going to be a really fun team to watch or series to watch. Those teams absolutely hate each other. Those fan bases hate each other. Um, a couple years ago in the playoffs when it was, I think it was Peter Laviolette was coaching the, the Flyers and, and Dan Biles before the Penguins, they almost got, the two coaches almost got into a fight. Uh, that one's going to yeah. be a really fun one to watch. So I just want, wanted to give you some, some shout outs here for some rivalry matchups in the first round. Keep, keep an eye on those two. Now we can Very get off nice. because I know you want to. Very nice. A phenomenal programming note there for Matt. Uh, Matt, why don't you hear the music? Okay. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. You can't handle the truth. Boy, have you lost your mind because I'll help you find it. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, Matt, I, I know here on the Moose and Ruins podcast, uh, sometimes things happen in the sports world that just, you know, leave us speechless, leave us um, just thankful of our existence. And the um, terrible, terrible story coming out of Canada with the junior hockey team um, just has me has me in no position to, to leave a grievance right now. And um, I think that this is just a good opportunity to send our thoughts and our prayers to the whole Humboldt community um, as the, that hockey bus crash claimed the lives of 15 young men. And uh, it just reminds you that, you know, uh, it reminds you of your mortality and it reminds you of um, how precious each and every day is and how lucky we are to be able to sit here and just talk about sports and be with our loved ones and just enjoy the breath of each day. And um, just wanted to send our thoughts and prayers and zero grievances this week. Um, to the whole Humboldt community, and that's uh, that's all I got on that. Yeah, um, you know, it, in moments like this throughout sports, it's, it's always very cool to see how people rally around those groups. Uh, you know, the, the the 
grieving group, the, the, the affected party and all that. And the entire hockey community has been nothing but spectacular in helping them, you know, get through what they are. But at the same time, they're only, they're doing what they're doing because of what an awful tragedy it was. And, and as cool yeah. as it is to see, it's hard not to, you know, remember that and then know how awful those 15 families and that entire community really is feeling because in small towns up in Canada and Saskatchewan, you know, hum- the humble Broncos are the Chicago Blackhawks to them, are the Calgary, whatever they are to them. And that it's, mm-hmm. it's awful to see. It's, it's cool to see what, what teams do and, and how the, you know, the Blackhawks and Jets all wore Broncos on the back of their jersey and all that stuff. But at the same time, they're doing it because of such, such a tragic uh, event occurred. Yep. So all we can do is, uh, you know, send our positive, our positive energy their way. And hopefully, um, you know, the healing process can begin. And, uh, with that, Matt, let's move on to another segment. Let's jump into a little buy or sell. What do you say? Let's do it. Why don't you start us off? All right, Matt. Buy or sell. And uh, we, we kind of uh, glossed over it here. We didn't get to our, our Major League early impressions early on on the podcast, but a lot happening in Major League Baseball early on. Shohei Otani coming showtime. out of the it's showtime. showtime. Get it? Showtime. Without the um, W. Co- coming out of the gates absolutely <laughs> on fire. 2-0 and in his first two starts, hitting above 300. Matt, buy or sell, Otani finishes his first season in the major leagues with a batting average better than 275 and 15 plus wins. I'm going to sell, but I think he's going to make it interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. I I tend to lean towards the 15 plus wins as being where he, uh, the the mark that he comes closer to or maybe eclipses, uh, because I think the Angels are a pretty good team. I think outside of the Astros in that AL West, I don't think the A's are all that good, and Texas is still kind of iffy. Um, I think on the offensive side, I think the the home run numbers are. He's obviously off to a great start. He's already got three. Um, I think the RBI totals are going to kind of be there. The, the home runs are probably going to be there. I think he can get to you know twenty twenty five. Uh, but I, I'm not sure the average is going to be able to sustain whatever slump that he does inevitably get into this year because that's coming and happens for everybody, especially rookies adjusting to a new league. And for me, that it's going to be whenever he can, how quickly he can get himself out of that slump. And it, it's hard to do as a rookie. It's hard to expect. So I. I would guess he's more towards you know two fifty to sixty with with fifteen wins and maybe twenty home runs, but that that I'm gonna, I'm going to sell. That's where I'm at. That swing is so smooth. That it is, a it fun is fun swing to watch. To it really it's is. got like shades of Ichiro with that drag through the zone, but it's so powerful. It, he's he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Oh yeah. All right, after Matt, that well, awful uh, spring training too, you kind of worried that he might be a bust, but no, he's he, he's doing okay. And he is absolutely lighting the world on fire. Apparently, uh, I was talking with the um, A's uh, media relations uh, coordinator the other day and uh, setting up some credentials for later on in the season and uh, just picking his brain about it. They filled 250 credential requests for Otani's first start, and it is majority Japanese uh, media outlets, so they they still are Otani crazy because he is... He is the Japanese Babe Ruth, and th- they want as much Otani as they can get. So, oh, yeah, you uh, saw the same thing with Ichiro, too, when he was here. The, the Japanese yeah. media was, was always here covering when He was you know, huge, huge back there. Yeah. All right, Matt, hit me. All right, Joe, I'm gonna, I know you got a similar or, or similarly related whatever question to it, but uh, over the weekend, Floyd Mayweather said that if he is going to be back, if he's going to fight again, it will be in the octagon for the UFC. I've asked you this question before, but this is some new info, Joe. So buy or sell, we see Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor in the octagon. I sell it completely. 
Um, it is a phenomenal promotional idea. It is a way for Floyd Mayweather to get in front of a camera. It is a way for the UFC to drum up interest during a time of uh, pretty pretty substantial turmoil. Um, and I, I just don't buy it. I don't think Floyd Mayweather has any incentive to go out there and do that because one, the UFC doesn't have the money to pay him what he wants for the fight. Will the pay-per-view buys, paper, pay-per-view buys get him to a, a monetary number that would be at least interesting to him? Absolutely, because that's just the type of interest that Floyd Mayweather garners regularly, especially when you couple him with a guy like Conor McGregor. But I think um, Conor McGregor has obviously some things to, to figure out currently, and the next fight he takes needs to be a UFC fight. I think he needs to lay his foundation again as the greatest fighter in the UFC as Khabib Ergonomenov, or however you pronounce his last name, is kind of taking on the role of the world beater right now. But uh, there's no there's no allure to Khabib. Connor needs to take his throne black, take his throne back as the face of the UFC, and I don't think that has anything to do with Floyd Mayweather getting into the octagon. So if we would see it, my point being, if we would see it, it wouldn't be for at least two years. And at that point, I think Floyd Mayweather is forty five years old, forty six years old, somewhere in that range, forty three years old. And I think then you're getting to a weird, like promotional, let's put Herschel Walker in some gloves and send him out there type age range. And, and I don't think that's, that's what anyone wants to see. I don't, we said kind of the same things about the boxing match though. And I know, I know, I know age is, is more, a lot more of a factor this time than it was there. But at the same time, I, I know two things about Floyd Mayweather. Joe, one is that he loves money. And two is that he spends a lot of money. Yeah. So if he has the right offer combined with, you know, because yeah, he talked about, you know, in, in his uh, his interview, I think it was with um, Showtime, whoever he did the interview, I forget who it was, but he talked about getting Showtime involved and, and you know, getting the, obviously getting the UFC involved. But if the money's right, Floyd Mayweather's going to be open to doing it. And if the money's right, Dana White's going to be open to doing it. I don't disagree that Conor McGregor needs to get himself back and lay his foundation, you know, in the UFC, kind of go take care of his his stuff he's got to take care of and, and go back and try and win that belt but at the same time it there's there's too much money involved for the in this to not happen if the right people want yeah, it to happen but you have to look at the sport of it too Matt and the issue is with the with McGregor Mayweather won it was a boxing match something that both of them are trained in were trained in both of them do this is an MMA fight Floyd Mayweather has never done jiu-jitsu, never grappled, never wrestled. He's a boxer. So you're essentially asking him to do something that he's never done before at the highest level, whereas McGregor had to obviously sharpen his boxing skill, but it's a skill that he had in his repertoire. That's why I don't believe this as much. I, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I can't write it off. I just I can't right. write it off yet. There's too much money well, involved it, for me to be it able to write off. I didn't ask you the buy sell, okay? You That's asked true. me, so pipe it, Manetti. I don't even know what that means. It's a movie reference. Which one? We're moving on. We're moving on. Um, Matt, buy or sell? Okay, this is this is very much along the same lines, though. Oh, okay. Buy or sell? Zero percent of the McGregor situation this past week was staged. The whole bus incident with him throwing the dolly through the window, him being arrested, him being booked, him being charged. Zero percent of it was in any way orchestrated by the UFC and Dana White. I think I, I can't 
I think somewhat something of it had to have been at least somewhat orchestrated. I forgot which way you phrased it. Am I buying it or selling it then? Zero uh, percent of it. So you're you're selling the fact. I'm that selling the fact. Is, okay. I I think I think mostly it was on Connor. I do think that uh, something or whatever it was that got him to come back and then apparently fly a private jet from Ireland must be nice to have that kind of money <laughs> um, to, to defend his buddy. But I, I highly doubt that Dana White wasn't at least alerted like, hey, this is happening and, and I'm coming there and something's going to go down. So I, yeah. I, somebody knew something. And I'm it's not a, sure. They, they I think it's a 10 or 12-hour flight from Dublin to yeah. – where were they? L.A. or – uh, I, the, I don't what, remember off the top. New of my York, head. no, it's so the Barclays. Think, New York. I thought it was, yeah, Brooklyn, it was at the Barclays. Right. Um, yeah. So, while I don't think Dana White called Connor and said like, "Hey, this," it wasn't a WWE script, but at the same time, mm-hmm. like I think Dana White knew Connor was coming. I don't think they intended for it to go as far as it did, and you know, eliminate like half their card for Saturday night, which yeah had to had to be awful. But uh, I think they knew something was coming, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna sell that. Yeah, I'm kind of on the fence about it too. And Connor showed that. up at the UFC event, by the way. There's a video of him like sitting, like, walking into his seat with a beer, like sitting and watching the show. Yeah, but uh, could you tell it was Connor? I did. It, it looked almost like a Connor lookalike. I, I didn't, I didn't really break down the video, but it, it looked. Like I looked Connor. at it once. Yeah, um, I, I think that. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. I think he might have taken it to another level. It was just way too many camera angles of it. Someone had the phone perfectly in the in the truck. Someone had the phone perfectly outside like it was yeah there was way too much video of this happening but at the same time he is a guy who who is constantly being followed by cameras he documents his whole life um i actually just finished watching the the documentary on conor mcgregor on netflix and the most amazing part about it is that this documentary starts before he was anybody like he had cameras around him documenting his rise um long before we knew who he was so um, he's known to be followed by cameras, and especially more now that he's he is who he is. But um, it looked a little looked a little WWE to me. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of with you. So yeah. glad we agree. All right, got one more. Yeah, it's really more of like it's not really like a a buy or a sell. I'm gonna ask why you buy something. Is if is, is that okay? Because okay? I know you fine. Why why do you buy ripped jeans? Why, why do you do buy, buy jeans that probably cost more money that are damaged? Um, okay, that, that's I'm going to buy this then. I'm going to buy this. Well, I'm a, I know um, you do. That's why I'm asking. Why are you buying them? Um, so, I think you're I referring. You a, I think you're I'm referring to, to Joe's a, Instagram story that he took this weekend of, of him standing with, uh, with, uh, with a hole Moose in the knee of his jeans. At Joey, at Joey Moo Six. Follow me if you don't. You know, come. come He's verified, show love. guys. It's kind of um, cool. I can verify that I'm verified. Yes, that's yeah. true. He's got the little um, blue check mark, so you know, it's kind of a kind of a big deal. I, I buy I buy jeans with now you're making it sound like I'm buying fully distressed jeans. I have jeans with a hole in the knee, and it's not a big hole, and it's just one knee. And that was uh, that was for some reason taken back by this, and that is not a I, I can't. Say I don't that understand that, why people buy damaged clothing because it's okay. It's not damaged clothing. It's damaged. It, there, a, there is a rip in the, the jeans. Yes, but it, it, there's a the jeans were made. A, and then There's somebody a, took a knife. You're gonna let me answer the cut. question. You're gonna no, let me I'm answer the question. I'm just explaining my side. Okay, and they, they don't distress with knives, so read a book. Whatever. But no, I don't. You buy just 
you buy distressed jeans because there, there's a certain style right now, Matt. And I think that style is very much rooted in the rock star aesthetic. When you think of the 70s, 80s rock stars, ripped jeans, even the grunge in the 90s, distressed items, ripped jeans are very hot right now. And th- that, that's what people are wearing. It's a comfortable pair of jeans that looked great with the Jordan 1 bread toes that I had on. And I did compliment I think- the shoes. I think in all things, the outfit went off without a hitch. I actually got a couple of DMs complimenting the outfit. So uh, I think that's the reason you buy ripped jeans. Yeah, you've also got a DM you see them, it. You see them, you like them, they fit you well, and you don't worry about your podcast partner's opinion of your style. Well, that's that's kind of rude. That's uh, No, that's just a that's a concise answer to your question. Is what that well, that's is. just rude that you don't care about my opinion of your style. I'm a little bit mad. Matt, you just you just got off sweatpants a month ago, all right? Yeah, guy I'm buys, into joggers. Guy, guy buys a couple pair of joggers and he thinks he's Donatella Versace. I'm, I'm settle down, guy. settle down with your with your style with with, with with these these witch hunts that you're that you're putting together here, coming after me for a single rip in my jeans. I'm, and I do have jeans. I do have jeans that are further ripped than the jeans that you saw in that picture. Just so you know. Well, that's disturbing. <laughs> Well, that's that's buy or sell here on the Moose and Runes podcast. Uh, Matt, Always happy to end have, on a good note. We have no, we have mail. I know I've been buy or sell. Oh, okay, yeah, we have we an have outstanding mailbag here. Before we say goodbye, and uh, why don't you why don't you tee that up for us? Uh, this one comes from we we wanted to get into this last week for fifty, but we thought it might take a little bit too long and be a little bit too much debate. So we decided to hold off to it on its own. We thought it was that good a one. Uh, it comes from comes from my brother yet again, uh, Tim at Tim Rooney twenty one on Twitter. Uh, Mount Rushmore of sports movies can't repeat sports. So I, I, you can't have two okay. football movies, can't have two baseball. One from I guess. He says one of the each, you know, the major U.S. sports, but you can't. I can't have a Mount Rushmore of golf movies or sports movies without having a golf movie in there. So, Joe, why don't we do? Why don't we do like a? You want to do like a draft here, like one and okay. one, or do you want to do but all four at once? Okay, we'll do one and one. But can we repeat movies or once? Yes, they're this, off, they're this off is this is our individual. Board. This is our individual okay. Mount Rushmores. I'm not going to ask you to change yours off something I might pick. Okay, in no specific order, I will start us off here. Sure. My Mount Rushmore of sports movie begins with Tin Cup as my golf movie. I struggled here between Tin Cup and Caddyshack as my golf movie, but I think Tin Cup is truer to the game, more of a golf movie than Caddyshack. Golf is the setting for the comedy. Um, I'm going to go with Tin Cup as my first Mount Rushmore. Joe, great minds think alike. They really do. Um, I, I'm also going with Tin Cup. Uh, ah. Wait, I, I, I had the same internal debate in my head. Like, is Caddyshack a golf movie? Oh, it, it absolutely or, or is it, it you know, a comedy, is. You know, like you said, centered around golf? And it is – it's a golf movie, but it's not a sports movie, I guess, if that makes sense. I, Tin That's, Cup yeah, is no, much more of a sports movie to me. From. The end of Tin Cup, it just doesn't get much better than that. Um so when he's on the range explaining the finish and explaining the swing mm-hmm. and the workmanlike finish of Arnold Palmer, it's just a fantastic movie. Yeah, it, it's th- there are so many different moments that really reference sports, I guess, throughout that to me. And it was Caddyshack. Every, Caddyshack might be my favorite, uh, like one of my favorite. It's, it's easily movies, a top five favorite yeah. movie of all time. And yeah. it, it is probably the one movie that I like. It is the most watchable movie, I think, for me ever. I will and can drop everything I'm doing when it's on and watch it and then you know end up <laughs> texting or tweeting half the quotes I hear because it's yeah. just awesome but uh, it if we're talking sports movies I'm going I'm going tin cup I agree with you Matt and I also love that the fact that every time I watch tin cup 
I still just want him to go up there and drop it. Just drop one. I, just drop one. Part of me thinks he's going, going to. Part exactly. of me thinks every, every time single watching, time. You know, this time he's like, going to walk up and this drop time he'll, it. This, this time he'll drop one. This time he'll drop one. Every, but but then the like case. the second time when he does drop, it's like, all right, this one, that, like Atlanta's like, no, okay, this one's actually going to stay up. This is going to stay. This is staying up. Oh, God. He went he went full Sergio. Oh, hey, you know what? He still um, finished with like a top 15 at the U.S. Open and got paid. So, mm-hmm. Very nice. Very nice. Matt, go. my next movie on my Sports Mount Rushmore. I'm going to go in the football vein here. And again, I was between two. Okay. Uh, but on my Mount Rushmore is Remember the Titans. Again, a great movie. Um, it, it, it's a fantastic movie. Might stray a little bit away from, like you said, pure sports movie, but... It is a fantastic movie. Varsity Blues was my runner-up there. Joe, I was going through football movies, and I honestly—I I think I had four. That—that okay. that was hard. It was hard for me to pick one. Varsity Blues is one I, I flirted with. Remember the Titans is one I flirted with. Um, it, it, for me, it kind of came down to two, and I'm going to show my homers and my fandom a little bit with one of these choices. One was Rudy. <laughs> I can't. Okay. You know that music gets going when he gets into Notre Dame, and like he's, he's on the practice field. And all that stuff, and then he takes. He was all that sides, stuff. by the way. But. He went. Well, well, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> um, and the other thing was Friday Night Lights. Yeah, uh, also. I, I, I'm going to go with Friday Night Lights here. Um, okay. Simply because when it came down to it, obviously you can't identify with what it was like to play high school football in West Texas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how, how big they treat it there, but like you kind of feel like you remember what it was like to play high school football and kind of like can, can almost feel a lot of the emotions and stuff they go through throughout that movie. And I just think it's really well done. The story is fantastic. I know it's kind of based off a true story and it doesn't exactly go along with what happened. But for me, that ending, like when, when Mike Winchell doesn't get in at the end, like that is the most gut wrenching moment, I think like in movie history for me. And it Poor is it's so well done. And Mike, Mike deserved it. Mike that, wait, got most gut wrenching moment in movie history. That, honestly, did I, did I hear that off right? the top of my head, it's hard for me to think of another one. Uh, you ever see a movie called Saving Private Ryan? Like yeah, that I've entire movie. I can't um, relate to. I like. I can't relate to that though. Like I, I. Oh, but you can. But you can relate to playing quarterback in West Texas. Hey, I was a backup quarterback in fifth grade. <laughs> I know what it was like. I know what it takes. Oh goodness, Matt. I know what it's like to lose a heartbreaking game. No, I understand. I understand. You know what, what I mean. I, don't don't twist yeah. this on me. So you are putting Friday Night Lights Friday on the Mount the, Rushmore. The, I like it. The acting, the movies, the the music, and all that—it's it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm going Friday Night Lights. All right, my third uh, pick for my Mount Rushmore is a baseball movie, Ooh, and okay. I am going. And this uh, again toes the line a little bit more of the Caddyshack vein, but Major League is going on my sports Mount Rushmore. So this is this is actually interesting because I was that was one of the ones I was I was thinking about, and I I, I kind of thought like no, I I can't pick Major League as my baseball movie, but then I was kind of looking at like your options there. Like, I like Bull the natural. Great. I like the natural. The I don't. Great. I, like, I don't love it like a lot of people do. I like Bull Durham a lot. I don't also like underrated. The it. rookies great. I, I agree. That's a fantastic with uh, with Dennis Quaid. I'm actually yeah. going to stay in the same franchise with you. But this okay. is this is for me. This is the rare one of the rarest things in movies where the sequel is no, actually better than the original. No, I'm going Major, Major League, League Two. two. Major League Major Two is League not two better than Major I, League. I actually think it is. I, 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 Back to the minors? No, 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 no. That's three. That's three. three. Major League That's Two three. is the one where they play the White Sox in Game Seven yes. with Jack yes. Parkman, who is one of my favorite movie villains in the history of movies. <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy. Uh, yes. but I, Major uh, Major League was is Major League or Major League Two. I ended up going with Major League Two, but those are Major two of my League favorite two. movies. I absolutely love them both. They're hysterical. They have good storylines to them. 
Ricky the Wild Thing Vaughn when he comes out the Wild Thing with the with the vest and the glasses and it's just you know when a when an actor gets stuck as a role like he was Wild Thing for the rest of his life. Oh yeah, like, I'll was, never picture him as anything but that. Yeah, that was and Charlie Bob, Sheen was stuck as Wild Thing. What's it? Uh, Bob Euchre, Some of his one liners in that movie. Yeah, are just unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. Uh, Parkman comes into the game betting just over 900 against Vaughn. Like, stuff like that, just very <laughs> subtle, like puns making yeah. men to take shots are just He's fantastic awesome. to me. But, okay. All Move right, on. so I'm taking Major League. You're taking Major League 2. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see where you – I mean, where my you going? My fourth here? and final one – well, my fourth and final one. I think there's only one answer for what's left, and I hope you go with it. No, and I think you're insinuating that I need to pick Rocky for some no, reason. No, I wasn't other. actually. You're I not? love, I love okay. the Rocky movies. I wasn't. Uh, I, I didn't really. I am going in the boxing vein, and oh, okay. it doesn't get the respect it should because it's not 25 years old. But The Fighter is such a fantastic movie. I don't think I saw The Fighter. Oh my goodness! You need to watch The Fighter. Mark the fighter, Wahlberg. That's okay. Mark yes. Wahlberg. Yeah, that's... Mark Wahlberg's good, but um, Christian Bale as his drug addict brother is, is even better academy award winning phenomenal phenomenal performance i think he was even nominated i don't know if he i won. believe he was he i don't know if he won but I, I know he was nominated for that role and just an outstanding movie it, it does sports right it does the build up around the fight right and i remember watching the ricky hatton fights and it was actually one of the fights we watched it was the weekend that the Fenwick girls won state. We are downstate watching the fight with my dad. I remember it vividly. And Go then Friars. they make this movie about Ricky Hatton. And it's just a, a really great movie that if you haven't seen, I, I truly suggest that you go see it. Uh, yeah, that, that is one. I, I don't know how I haven't seen that one yet. Cause I remember when mm-hmm. it came out, I wanted to see it very badly. I just never got around to it. Um, as much as I, I would like to pick a boxing movie and I also wouldn't have been Rocky as much. As I love those Rocky movies. They're not like, yeah. They're, they're fun movies to watch and I will watch with pretty much with the exception of five if one's ever on TV I will happily go through I will watch yeah. them, I will watch them all the way through I love those movies but they're not like all-time great movies for me Cinderella man was one I actually flirted with putting on yeah I think Russell Crowe's fantastic in it um, they, they have storylines outside of sports obviously with the depression and all that stuff that kind of Jim bring, Bra- Bradigan Bradigan was that his last name uh, James J Braddock James J Braddock Jimmy Braddock okay. um, but I, I think this answer is it's a layup. It's easy. I'm shocked. It's not your Mount Rushmore. You, you can't go against Miracle being in the Mount Rushmore, I, I being toyed, on the top four. It is. I, I, I toyed with it. It just felt too on the nose. It, it felt too on the nose. You me. don't have to. You don't have to go away with you know what. what now I know. You but, don't have to be different. You don't always have to be the guy you know standing on the outside wearing the ripped jeans who's, who wants to be different. From everybody. <laughs> was that my okay. was was the yeah. fighter my ripped jeans of movie uh it must it might have been i don't I, it might have been honestly i don't know but miracle to me it's, it's well it's, miracle is miracle your, is not only one of my favorite sports movies it's one of my favorite movies ever I, it is miracle it is, is your nike t-shirt that's what miracle is I think there is that nothing that is analogy it's it's a it is a classic it is worn by just <laughs> everybody Exactly. Um, with it, it miracle it, the story, the music. I know you know what's going to happen at the oh, end, but at the same time, though. like you know, when, when they're counting down, you know, thirty, forty seconds, you still kind of think Rush is going to find a way to to beat Jimmy Craig, but they they never do, Joe. They never do. And then seeing Kurt and then Russell they come in with, they come in with the actual Al Michaels call. Just that phenomenal. that is <clears throat> that was not something I think I knew going into the movie. Like the, the, yeah. the end, that was they were going to do it. That was whoever had that idea just deserves an Oscar. 
I don't know if he got whoever, it. I probably didn't. Whoever, whoever had, had that, that idea, idea deserves And then it. whoever whoever cleared that piece of media, like whoever paid that money to get that piece of media, yep. good on them as well. That was, but, but for me, it's miracle. It's 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 the best story in sports. It is. It's perfectly well made. It doesn't feel like you're watching. Like a lot of times when you see movies based on true stories, you kind of feel like you're dragging yourself through it. It doesn't really have the feel of like the true story. It still feels like you're kind of watching it for the first time. So it's miracle. Miracle it is. Miracle. Matthew again. I think. Sorry. What again, I said what? again. Remember from oh, the movie? Oh, you were, making, blows me, the you were making me skate yeah. lines. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Come on, Joe. Right. We'll cut that out. Didn't hit. Yeah, we'll cut it out. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, Matt, always a pleasure, uh, per usual, sitting down with you here, chopping it up. It was uh, it was a fun week of sports, and I think uh, we touched on a good amount of it here today on the Moose and Runes podcast, episode 51. We hope you guys enjoyed just as much, if not more, than we enjoyed. We have a great time doing it for you. Keep sending us those mailbag questions. I know we did a big mailbag for episode 50, but we love questions like that, that Mount Rushmore question. We had a, a great time with, and we will continue to uh, – field your questions as they come in thank you for listening to 51 episodes of the moose and runes podcast matt uh why don't you shut us down shut it down shut it all down shut it down shut it down houston we have shut down i've seen enough shut it down all right um joe i'll, I'll let you comment in on the the hair of this individual that i'm going to be talking <laughs> about shut down at the end if you'd like but uh I don't think there's any more fitting topic here to shut this podcast. I'm actually looking at his hockey reference page right now, and I feel like he's staring at me with, with his eyes here. But Patrick Sharp uh, hanging up the skates uh, after a, a return that fell flat, um, which I don't think neither of us saw. I don't think we ever saw uh, Patrick Sharp of old coming through that door, but we also didn't see it you know, going this poorly. Um, but, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, it, it's the first core member of this Blackhawks group to retire. Um, I think it's fitting because he's also really the first core Blackhawks member of this group to to be shipped out and leave town. Um, but uh, I, I don't really have much prepared here to say because I kind of wanted to speak from the heart here, Joe. I think you know how much the Blackhawks have meant to me uh, kind of mm-hmm. throughout th- this run. I remember as early as, you know, oh, was it 07, 08 when I was telling friends about, you know, how the Blackhawks look pretty good, and they got this young guy named Patrick Sharp they just traded for. Like, you guys should start watching him. You guys should start watching him. And I never once thought, you know, even in that time when I was optimistic about where they're going, that Patrick Sharp was going to be, you know, an elite goal scorer, win three Stanley Cups, and, and, and be such a big part of this franchise. But he's walking away probably at the right time. He, he probably could have got some more money elsewhere, but uh, doesn't want to leave Chicago, doesn't want to leave the family again, and all that stuff. So, um, I guess it's just a salute to Patrick Sharp and kind of the first of this core group to go. I know the the rest of it still has a few more years here, but uh, it, it's weird seeing one of those guys, you know, hang him up for good. It was one thing seeing him go and, and play elsewhere, but now knowing that he's you know he's done, not taking the ice anymore, it's a uh, it's a little odd. It was it was heartfelt seeing that the tributes they gave him after the Blues game there. Uh, I think it was Friday night seeing Patrick Kane tearing up on the ice and kind of the, the team forced him out to take one last lap and say what you want about some of the things he might have rumored to that he might have done um i don't i don't think you see the emotion out of his teammates from from some of the teammates that he's rumored to have problems with towards the end there if he was a bad teammate or a bad guy to those guys so uh a blackhawks legend a guy who very well might have his number going up in the rafters a couple years down the road is, is hanging him up and that's all yeah. i got you and it, um sorry if just, i rambled a little bit there but i was, I was no, trying, no, no, trying no, to go all, from the heart all things that heart. needed to be, all things that needed to be said, Matt. You said them well, and uh, you know Sharpie will forever be linked to 
some of the greatest memories we'll have as Chicago sports fans. And uh, he's a large part of all those championship runs. And to see him lay his roots here and to see him want to stay here means a lot to this city. And I doubt we've seen the last of Sharpie. I'm sure we'll see that beautiful mug he'll, he'll on, be uh, on NBC TV Sports or, or on or NHL Network. Be an ambassador or, for the team. Yeah, like that. He, he's not commercials. I hear Benny's commercials pay well, so I'm cer- sure we'll see uh, we'll see some Sharpie down the road. Yeah, and I the his name is gonna it will easily get you know overlooked throughout this era because you know Kane is obviously such a great he'll go down as, as easily one of the best players of all time Taves is going to go down as arguably, arguably the best captain of all time Keith and Seabrook uh, obviously as well have been here you know since 02 and, and have been mm-hmm. kind of the, the bigger names than Patrick Sharp but there there was not more uh, not a more steady presence maybe outside of Marion Hosa through this run through those playoff series than Patrick Sharp I believe he had something like 10 or 11 consecutive playoff series where he scored a goal, which is, I mean, that's when you think about it, that, that, that's no slumps in playoffs. He, he was always a contributor. He was always making an impact. And I will, st- it, it, my favorite Patrick Sharp moment ever, they lost the series four to one in 09 to Detroit in the Eastern, Western Conference Finals, but they're down, they had like a three nothing lead in game three, blew it, went to overtime, and then Sharp scored on a rebound to beat Chris Osgood. And I was sitting right there in my seat in section 234, and it was like it was the coolest moment for me seeing them beat the Red Wings in a playoff game. But that's that's all I got, Joe. I'm done. I'm off my, my soapbox here. All righty. Well, it, it's goodbye for now, Patty Sharp, and it is goodbye for now, Moose and Runes listeners. Thank you again for listening to Moose and Runes episode 51. Make sure you get out there, subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already. Throw us a like, comment, rate us, all of it. We appreciate all the support, and we will see you guys next week. God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. (laughs) Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.